0: And welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher. And with me on the other end of the Skype line is the woman that is probably waiting for the pun. It's Lydia.
1: <laughs> I was ready to say, you are being absorbed by my voice. But yeah, this is kind of a tough one to come up with one, unless you want to go with a cliche, I think.
0: Yeah, well, you know, yeah, sometimes coming up with a joke is a pain in the neck.
1: Ah, <laughs> Yeah, no, I I got nothing for that one. (laughs) Wow, you set me up for that one. You really set me up for that one.
0: Well, Lydia, it's fantastic to talk to you again. I love getting a chance to talk to you about some movies, and uh, I'm glad that people are tuning in and downloading to listen to us discuss these movies.
1: I am not. No, I'm just kidding. I really am. (laughs) Well, I I had (laughs) to surprise you. You get me every time. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it.
0: People can do that, of course, by subscribing through iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Uh, They can also subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch many of the films that we've covered here on Orphan Entertainment, uh, past movies and movies going forward. And of course, we do have a Facebook group if you go there and sign up. We just had a new member sign up. I think he was from Ireland. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, very cool. I don't think he's our first international group member, but one of the few. But I I like the fact that we have more than one. We're truly international now. (laughs) Yay! If anyone would like to reach out to us, uh, send us any feedback or suggestions or just general comments, you can do that at the Facebook group or you can send an email to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. You can type it out, uh, record an MP3 on your phone or your computer. We'd love to hear from you. So I think with that, we're going to take a short break with another five-minute mystery, which I've been absolutely enjoying the heck out of. And within that, you're going to hear a promo for another podcast. And when we get back, we will... Discuss from 1943 Dead Men Walk.
2: Another five minute mystery. Mr. Clark speaking. Yes? The Cooper Rubies, where? Blackstone's at 49th. I'll be right over.
3: Come in, Inspector. Oh, this is terrible, terrible. And to think that we took such precautions. I just can't understand. Now,
2: now, just a moment, Mr. Blackstone. Just calm down a bit and tell me what's happened. I'll tell
3: you what's happened. One of the Cooper Rubies has been stolen. That's what's happened. I
2: understand that, Mr. Blackstone. But if
3: I could have some information about them... Uh, The Cooper Rubies are a group of 15 of the most exquisite stones I have ever had in my possession. Uh, This woman, Mrs. Lloyd, came into my shop and asked to see the Cooper Rubies. I wanted to buy one, but I certainly don't now. I was showing them to her myself. At the same time, I was showing this gentleman, Mr. Williams, some bracelets. Just a simple little bracelet for my wife, Inspector. I was interrupted by one of the sales girls. I turned away for just a moment, and when I looked back, one of the rubies was gone. Now I ask you, who other than one of these two could have taken it?
2: Your assumption is quite sound, Mr. Blackstone. I'm very much afraid I'm going to have to ask you two to be
3: searched. <laughs> Leave your
2: bag here on the desk. Mr. Blackstone's secretary will assist you in the other room. Mr. Williams, I'll search you in Mr. Blackstone's office. Ah, uh, let's see. Mrs. Lloyd's bag. Compact. Nothing here. Lipstick. No secret compartments.
3: I hope you're satisfied.
2: Gloves. Nothing in the pockets. Well, I guess that eliminates you, Mrs. Lloyd. <laughs> now, Mr. Williams' things. Nothing in the pockets. Billful home.
3: Does that eliminate me, Inspector?
2: I guess it does, Mr. Williams. Everything seems to be quite in order. Uh, cigarette, Mrs. Lloyd?
3: No, thank you. I don't smoke.
2: Williams? No, thanks. I have my pipe. Oh, of course. Well, Mr. Blackstone, I've found your precious ruby. You've what? Uh, but I haven't seen it. No, you haven't seen it, Mr. Blackstone, but I know where it is. Mr. Williams, I arrest you for the theft of the Cooper Ruby. <laughs> How did the inspector discover Eric Williams' theft of the Cooper Rubies? Do you know the clue? In a moment, we'll hear more. But first...
4: Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Radio. Here, your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster, monster Kid, Radio. Kid Radio! Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, island of terror and king kong and don't forget convention coverage from monster bash and the h.p lovecraft film festival classic monsters modern talk and the head of rondo hatton only on monster Monster Kid kid radio and now
2: let's see what inspector clark has to say
3: but i don't understand Where is the ruby, Inspector?
2: Well, Mr. Blackstone, when I asked these two people to submit to be searched, I knew the guilty one would hold out. For a moment, I thought I was licked. We seemed to have all their possessions, yet nothing was evident. Only when I offered Mr. Williams a cigarette did I notice that he was smoking a pipe. Here, Mr. Blackstone, is your ruby, concealed in the bowl of this pipe. And now, Mr. Williams, I'd like to show you something in bracelets. A double one, better known as the handcuff.
0: walk was originally released in 1943 by producers releasing corporation and was actually re-released in 1948 by madison pictures this film is one of the last films for two of its stars mm-hmm. uh, mary carlisle who plays the young niece gail uh, who was newly married retired from hollywood shortly after this picture and this, and, this was her last one wasn't it i believe yeah what this was her last one and dwight fry uh, who appears in this one as a uh, Zolar. He uh, unfortunately passed away from a heart attack uh, shortly after this film was complete, but he actually had like three other films come out in, in, in 1943.
1: I so. saw that. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my big notes. I was going to say this movie apparently was the, like, you know, ended some people's careers, but no, it was no. not related to the film.
0: <laughs> well, Mary was discovered by Carl LeMay Jr. while she was eating lunch with her mom at the universal studios commissary. She was only 14 at the time. Uh, he actually got talked her into and uh, gave her a screen test, which she passed, but her career had to be put on hold until she actually completed school. When she finished her education, she got to work at MGM. There, a casting director asked if she could dance. Well, of course, she replied that she could, and so he arranged for her to audition to take, uh, for an audition that, that was going to take place in a couple days. Of course, Carlisle lied about her abilities, (laughs) so she took a one-day basic tap dancing lesson. She still managed to win the part, and then that led to a one-year contract with MGM, and she was uh, used as a backup dancer. Well, she gained some recognition when she was selected as one of the Wampa's Baby Stars. That's W-A-M-P-A-S. Not the giant snow creature that attacked Luke Skywalker. (laughs) Sorry the 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 Wampa's baby stars was a promotional campaign sponsored by the United States Western Association of Motion Picture Advertisers now this group included other uh, actresses you 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 may know what this was was a group it was a promotional you know, It was a, this campaign, and they would select some young starlets that they felt were kind of like on the brink of becoming big stars. Mm-hmm. And they, they included I – mean, there was a long list. They did it for about a decade.
1: It's There's like a, an MTV award.
0: Exactly. And it was a long, <laughs> there you go. It was a long list of, of stars, but a few names you may recognize would be Faye Ray, mm-hmm. uh, Mary Astor, which I think has been – I think Mary Esther was a, in a film that we covered recently, mm-hmm. uh, Clara Bow, uh, Ginger Rogers, and Gloria Stewart. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is now you ready for this for something really interesting. Carlisle is the only surviving member of the Wampas baby stars. Wow, she is still alive 103 years young.
1: Wow, I did not realize she was that young. That is remarkable. I did I did see there wasn't an expiration date for her, but wow, <laughs> that is really remarkable. That is true. She was born in nineteen fourteen and actually just had a birthday on February third, yes. four happy days ago. B- happy birthday, Mary.
0: Yes, happy belated birthday. Was not planned, but I thought that was very interesting. I tell you what, you know, I I started going through and I figured I was gonna make some notes and get some interesting trivia on some of the actors. She was not the one I thought I would come up with the most <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I thought well, and that was very cool. Especially since she
1: just her career just ended really abruptly with this film. Yeah, but that's I, that's phenomenal. Well done, her.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Her uh, her major acting break happened in 1933 when she starred along in a film called College Humor along Bing Crosby. Her performance was critically acclaimed, and she went on to make two more movies with Crosby: Double or Nothing and Doctor Rhythm. So yes, uh, unfortunately her career she uh, she got married and decided to retire from Hollywood and that was the end of
1: Unfortunately she got married. Well, I was just saying, saying her career
0: ended no, like you said very abruptly and may, many might say cut short uh before really uh who knows where she could have gone uh of course if she's starring in films like Dead Men Walk maybe her career wasn't going as fast as she might like
1: maybe not but hey, honestly maybe maybe not dealing with the stress of Hollywood for decades and decades has allowed her to you know be 103 keep years going. old exactly <laughs> that's I mean that's remarkable that really is remarkable
0: yeah, I don't know who runs it. It must be a friend or or a, just a fan, but there is actually a Facebook group. If you search for Mary Carlisle Fan, there's a Facebook group, and you can see some photos of Mary from back in her heyday and even uh, as recent as a couple of years ago. So Very cool.
1: You <laughs> should say we just reviewed your last movie. Yeah. I, maybe,
0: maybe we'll wait and see. Make ourselves
1: famous by talking to her. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe we'll wait and see what we have to say about it before I do that.
1: that well,
0: that's fair. <laughs> Now, I did mention Dwight Fry. He plays Zolar the Hunchback here. He may be most recognized as Renfield from 1931's Dracula, and, of course, from the same year, Fritz in Frankenstein. He was nicknamed the Man with a Thousand-Watt Stare and the Man of a Thousand Deaths. (laughs) He specialized in the portrayal of mentally unbalanced characters. But we actually here on Northern Entertainment just saw him recently as the studio hairdresser alongside James Cagney in Something to Sing About. Yes, he does play a lot of mentally unbalanced folk, but in a
1: lot of creature films. I mean, there oh, there is a lot much. of Frankenstein and Dracula in his. Yeah,
0: repertoire. he was often the lab assistant or the the, the henchman to some villain or another. Mm-hmm. But he I thought it. it
1: was interesting. He played a part in The Maltese Falcon. Not yeah, I did something not I would, know I would have that. looked
0: for him in. It wasn't the. Uh, I can't think of his name.
1: <laughs> the name Cardi is Wilmer Cook. I'm not super familiar with the character because I haven't seen The Maltese Falcon in years.
0: I was thinking it's not the one with uh, Humphrey Bogart, though.
1: Let's take a look.
0: I think it's the original Maltese Falcon.
1: Ah, you are exactly right. It is the one with Ricardo Cortez.
0: I didn't think so, because I was going to say, no, I don't, I've seen the Maltese Falcon. I don't remember him. Yeah, not the one well, with Humphrey, you know.
1: Fair point. This is not the one I saw either.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's why you didn't recognize him.
1: That is why I didn't recognize him. <laughs> what a surprise. I, so, to, you know, again, I did not actually even realize that there was more than one Maltese Falcon. Yeah, I, I,
0: I seem to remember somewhere that, that they had the Humphrey Bogart one, which is the famous one, is actually a remake of the original. I have to go back. I've never watched the, the first one, the one that uh, Dwight is in. I'll have to go back and check that out one of these days. Mm-hmm. I do love Dwight Fry though. When he does pop up in these creature films, whether he's the hunchback or or like in Dracula in 1931, I think he makes that film as much as I love Bela Lugosi. It's that Renfield and that crazy, weird laugh of his in that film (laughs) that is just – that's the thing that sticks with me about that movie no matter how long it goes in between watching it. Now, George Zuko. Uh, with nearly 100 films between 1931 and 1951, often playing a bespeckled, nefarious character, like in films after The Thin Man, Charlie Chan in Honolulu, The Cat and the Canary, and my favorite, Blonde. During 1940s, he took every role he was offered, <laughs> landing, himself, <laughs> landing himself in B-films and a lot of universal horror films, including The Mummy's Hand, The Mummy's Tomb, The Mad Monster, The Mad Ghoul, you sense in a trend, The Mummy's Ghost, <laughs> House of Frankenstein, etc., etc. So if you're a classic horror fan, you know George Zuko. That is all of the little trivia and everything that I had. I, like I said, I really expected I'd have a lot more for Dwight and and uh, and George Zuko. But yeah, it was Mary that I ended up coming up with some of the most interesting stuff. That kind of surprised that.
1: me. I actually came up with just a couple little things. I don't usually come up with anything that you don't come up with. Um, but one thing probably worth noting before we get into this movie, the writer Fred Mitin, mm-hmm. uh did over a hundred. He has over one hundred and fifty credits. Most of them are. What I would term spaghetti westerns. So, it, it makes A lot of sense when you're watching this movie and kind of the drama that we see in it. You, if you're thinking of it with that in mind, it clicks and you kind of make it makes a little bit more sense. Um, so interesting to note that the writer on this primarily did westerns and sort of broke out of that for this movie. The other thing I noticed was the director Sam Newfield. Directed over two hundred and seventy-five movies.
0: Holy cow! It it
1: just insanely, and I think that was in a span of about forty years. So uh, he started in yeah, exactly forty years. He started oh a little bit less actually. Nineteen twenty-six was his first short. And then 1964 was his last movie, but 276 movies that he drew, that that's he's credited insane. with directing. <laughs>
0: I'm used to seeing that with the. I'm used to seeing that kind of number with some of the actors we see from this period, just because they, they were think, studio actors and they just yeah. Yeah, here do but this even here, that, do that. I
1: usually, yeah, you usually see you know 170, maybe almost 200 movies, and that's a huge number. Yeah, through so a lifetime, was, right? Yeah, and this guy just in 40 years just blew all of that away. It's just remarkable.
0: That's amazing. Well, Dead Men Walk, you want to go ahead and start getting into the film? Absolutely. The film opens with a burning book of vampires and a ghostly head in the flames.
5: You creatures of the light, how can you say with absolute certainty what does or does not dwell within the limitless ocean of the night? Are the dark and shrouded legions of evil not but figments of the imagination because you and your puny conceit say they cannot exist. Whence came the story told in frightened whispers down through the ages of witch and warlock, werewolf and vampire, and all the spawn of hell, born on the sable wings of night to the unholy communion of the witch's sabbath.
1: That's a good quote for really setting the mood. And they go to, I mean, right off, they're saying this is a horror story and it's going to be very intense. Mm -hmm. And then it promptly fails to deliver. (laughs) (laughs) It was a
0: really great quote. And I actually went, I tried to do some Google to see if it was actually a quote from something else because it seemed really good for Mm -hmm. this film but I couldn't find it I was like is this Shakespeare I mean what do they (laughs) you know? no as far as I can tell it was written for this film if I'm wrong if anybody knows different please let me know well next we see a funeral a man George Zuko looks upon the body in the casket which is George Zuko (laughs) a woman bursts in and claims that the dead man was a servant of the devil and is shocked that they would defile the church with his body the priest to uh, choose her out, and the pre and he explains that the woman has been very upset and not the same since her young granddaughter's murder last week. Uh, the woman is removed, and the service is resumed.
1: Like you do anytime somebody you know <laughs> yeah. runs into a funeral and says this guy worshipped the devil, you just go, "Oh, okay, she's gone. Let's keep going."
0: Yeah, her granddaughter died. <laughs> it's it was murder. It was. It <laughs>
1: It's worth noting, Lloyd is very calm through this, mm-hmm. which I hadn't attributed any importance to until the moment I just spoke those words. <laughs> <laughs> and and it leads directly into the next scene where he explains that his brother or his twin brother, presumably Elwyn,
4: mm-hmm.
1: ha- was always very odd. And he always seemed strange to him, even from the time they were children. Mm, right. So it's almost like he was expecting somebody to just bust in on the funeral and say his brother was... A crazy Satan worshiper.
0: <laughs> yeah, like you do. <laughs> when the when the priest is sitting there. Oh, you know, she's she's just hasn't been the same. It's I understand.
4: Yeah, <laughs> oh, all right,
0: not upset at all. Well, later, George Zuko, who we now know is Doctor Lloyd Clayton, is locking the crypt of his brother Elwin, and he's standing there with a along with a young couple, and we do get a little backstory about Elwin, like you were saying. Dust to dust, and may his soul find a mercy.
5: Isn't it all for the best, Uncle Lloyd? After all, he caused you nothing but unhappy. He was my brother. Yet he always seemed an alien soul, even in childhood. I believe he hated me all his life. After he returned from India, Elvin was like a man obsessed by a demon. Nothing was sacred to him. He had nothing but contempt for all that decent men hold dear. His mind became a black and evil thing probing into the perverted knowledge of ancient sorcery and demonology must have been insane we're all quick to call insane any mentality that deviates from conventional there have been many things in heaven and earth undreamed of in our philosophy
0: well lloyd goes to elwyn's house and there he finds stacks of books and piles of papers devoted to the occult and he sets about burning them a hunchback man a hunchbacked man enters the room, this is Dwight Fry, and he tries to stop Lloyd. He yells at him that Elwin scoured the earth for these books, and now you're just destroying them. He also accuses Lloyd of murdering his brother. Lloyd protests and tells him that he was defending himself, and in the struggle, Elwin fell from a cliff. Well, the hunchback leaves, but not before declaring that Lloyd will regret what he has done and will pray for death before he dies. So Lloyd returns to his book burning.
1: This is, I think, this was the kind of the first hint to me, the first real obvious hint to me that maybe we weren't going to see a whole lot new in this movie. As soon as the evil brother had a hunchback sidekick, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I've seen that before in something.
0: Maybe you have. Maybe you have. <laughs> I wanted to ask if you picked this up. There was a moment right here at the end of this scene where Lloyd, you know, he goes and throws some more books and or papers onto the fire. He takes a step back and the way his his body language is as if, if it's, as if he was seeing something in the fire. And I really wonder if there was something excised out from the film or edited out, you know, there was a choice. Was there could this have been maybe his first um first time he maybe sees a, an apparition of Elwin or something, or was maybe even the beginning of the movie, was it going to be in this or something similar to that was going to be in this part? Cause he, he has that weird sort of 1940s. Ah, what is that? Uh, that
1: yeah. That kind of draws back from uh-huh. it, it. Honestly, no, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> as you were saying that I played that section back and you're exactly right. it, mm. it I think that, Oh, we'll, we'll, we can discuss the many travesties of this film a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Well, a little bit later, we join the young couple we saw earlier. Uh, they're now in a garden. This is David and Gail. Gail is Lloyd's niece. Well, the two kiss and have something to tell Uncle Lloyd. They go into a study to announce that they're in love and engaged. Lloyd is happy that Gail will be in safe hands. Apparently, at the same time, in a graveyard somewhere... Dwight Fry, who is uh, Zolar now, we, I, I don't know when. I think I don't think we find out his actual name until about halfway into the film. But it's Zolar. I'm going to call him Zolar. Well, he's hauling a casket through the graveyard. He opens it to, re- to reveal L1 is very much alive. I feel a little shied hand. That to be
5: I live and not yet strong. But the power has been given me to draw everlasting life on the veins of the living. They will give me the blood from their hearts while I destroy them. I hide my coffin in the vault and guard it. Power is with me only during the hours of darkness. From dawn to dusk, I lie helpless in the grave.
1: I think it's probably worth noting this is the slowest sit up I have seen in any
0: movie ever. (laughs) It does, because you're like, oh, is he getting up? No. No, no, oh, no he's no, wait. Is he, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, 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 he is getting up. He is, he is getting up. Yeah. And
1: he's almost there now. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously they did it for theatrical purposes, but it plays a little false.
0: Well, Elwin walks off into the night and he finds himself in a woman's bedroom. Like you do. Like I you mean, mean, often that do. That
1: happens to me like every other Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The next morning, uh, Lloyd is examining the dead body of the woman that we saw at, just in the previous scene. And uh, other than two puncture marks on her neck, he can find no reason for an, a previously healthy woman to die so suddenly. While well, the crazed woman, uh, Kate, as we now know, shows back up and again insists that one has brought great evil into the world. Again, later. There's a lot of later or next or <laughs> at the same time. It's sometimes hard to tell. It's a, Lloyd, little, it's a bit choppy, is it, please? A little bit. Lloyd hits the books to try and to figure out what happened when a familiar voice tells him that he burned the book that would give him the information he wants. Lloyd looks up to find Elwin in the room.
1: <gasps> I thought the, the gasp would add some drama.
0: It does. I Thank to- you. <laughs> Elwin also accuses Lloyd of murdering him and tells Lloyd that he will make his life unbearable before he kills him. As Elwin leaves, he spots Gale and David in the garden. He tells Lloyd that he will slowly kill Gale and Lloyd will be powerless to stop him. Lloyd finally admits to killing Elwin, saying that his life was such an affront to all that was clean and decent, had no right to exist. And finally, having enough, Lloyd pulls a gun and fires at Elwyn, which has no effect, and Elwyn disappears.
1: I like how he just fades away. He does.
0: He just fades.
1: And I think that's, correct me if I'm mistaken, I think that's the only time that he fades away in the entire movie.
0: Uh, Is there another time? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I can't
1: think of another time that he does.
0: Well, Gail and David come in to find out what is going on. And there's an actually amazingly long time between the time the shots are fired and the time we actually see Gail and David react to the shots <laughs> and then come into the study.
1: I also, I, and I, I may have missed something, but it looked like David came in by himself at first. Am I mistaken on that? And Gail came in, and I just missed her, but I had this crazy thought at some point that he was just firing at the door, he may have shot Gale. <laughs> Since apparently it had no effect on his brother, I thought that had to hit something and it didn't break any glass. Yeah.
0: I don't know what happened to the bullets. <laughs> I'm assuming they actually went into Elwyn, but of course they didn't have any effect and he just, well, cause he's already, yeah, he's already, undead. Yeah. So David and Gale want to know what's going on. Is everything all right? Well, Lloyd just tells him he, he thought he saw a burglar, but it was just a shadow. Gale retires for the night. Just, Oh, Okay. Uh, uh, but David confronts Lloyd about the shooting. Lloyd confides in David about what he saw. David chalks it up to the stress the doctor's been under and offers to take over the practice for a while so that Lloyd can get some rest, and Lloyd heartily agrees. While Gail sleeps, Elwin appears in her room. After a little monologuing, in which he tells his plan to turn her into a creature such as himself and that she will obey him forever, he leans in, as the scene goes dark. Okay. And I'd I want to ask you something here. Okay. You go first. Go are ahead. you
1: about to ask me if I had flashbacks to twilight? Cause the answer is <laughs> yes.
4: <laughs> no.
1: Creepy guy watching a woman sleep in her bedroom. Mm, sounds like twilight. Sorry. You were asking.
0: <laughs> no, I'll, this is where I want to ask. All right. Gail is Lloyd's niece.
1: And I was wondering, too, does that mean she's Elwin's niece, too, or not?
0: Or, so, her, or his daughter.
1: See, now, I have to think that it's not his daughter. Otherwise, she would have said something about father at some point. Uh, no, like that's a good have, point. I feel like they would have made a big deal <laughs> out of it. So I was wondering, okay, so if it's Lloyd's niece, it must also be Elwyn's. And then I thought, well, maybe Lloyd is a widower.
0: And yeah, that's the only wife. thing I can think of is exactly. Exactly that, yeah.
1: They, it's another one of those big blanks that they kind of leave floating out there. They do. Which we'll discuss later
4: on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, several days later, Lloyd and David discuss Gail's declining health. Uh, no matter what Lloyd does, she keeps getting weaker. The two go out into the garden to see Gail, and uh, they just now happen to notice the marks on her neck.
1: Well, she was wearing a scarf, and she does mention that. Yeah, but, but yeah. Lloyd's a
0: doctor, and he's been examining her, trying to figure <laughs> out what the heck's wrong with her. You'd think you would have noticed that.
1: He's not an ENT specialist. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you would think so. But they, I mean, at least they have the decency, not the decency. But they do. She does mention, well, I've been wearing a scarf because I thought it was unsightly. Yes. So there is at least a line to kind of cover that. But you would think that while examining her to find any reason possible, which he says he did, and he can't find any reason that she should have become anemic so fast, you, he might have looked at her throat at some point. That's mm-hmm. kind of the first thing doctors do when I go in.
0: At, at least, you know, don't they do the, you know, let's that's, that's, you know, feel your glands and make sure they're yes, kind of
1: swollen. exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what I was saying. We're going to feel your glands. No, they're fine. You have a cold.
0: You're right. <laughs> Well, David here suddenly suggests that they give Gail a blood transfusion, and Lloyd agrees. Again, I, found, I found this David,
1: interesting. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say,
0: because David just suddenly blurts out, I think we should try a blood transfusion. And Lloyd's like, I've been thinking about that. Really? How long has this been? <laughs>
1: well, it, to be fair, so he does say, and this is this I found interesting. Uh, he says I'll put out an advertisement. So it's really interesting if you think about it. That period of time when this movie was filmed in 1943, they didn't have blood banks like we do now. No, you know, I mean, if well. I don't. I don't know that this is supposed to be set in 1943. But even in 1943, they didn't just keep stacks of blood around. You typically had to have a blood transfusion from directly from another person. They just didn't. You know, the technology wasn't quite there yet. So it oh, was interesting. Sure. I just thought, from a historical standpoint, I, I we take that for granted. But back then, it would have been something you had to put out an advertisement for, so that somebody could come and donate blood directly. It's very and, interesting.
0: Yeah, and also the David. You know, says, No, I'd I'd like to uh, I'd like to be the one if if I'm the right blood type. Right. You know, yeah, well oh, then I'll I'll set up a test. The fact that they went to that much trouble in this film to mm-hmm. actually mention that, you know, not all blood is blood. Right. The, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, after the transfusion, Gail is feeling better. Uh, Lloyd thinks they may be out of the woods and then spots Elwyn leering through the window. In Lloyd's study, Lloyd confesses to David that he thinks Elwin is responsible somehow. Science can't explain Gale's condition. Couldn't there be a supernatural reason? Well, David tries to be the voice of reason. He admits there are things science can't explain, but he isn't ready to turn to superstition to find answers. Now this is a good as place as any. I was going to bring this up if it didn't come up in discussion. I was going to bring it up towards the end when we discussed our our ratings and everything. But this is a, probably a good as place as as any to just mention that I really like this part about the film is that no one immediately jumps to oh, it's a vampire. Uh, Reason does
1: except for Crazy Kate. But except for yosh. Kate. Well, but she's crazy. She hasn't been. She the is same. crazy.
0: Uh, no, both men, I mean, Lloyd and David are men of science. They're both doctors, and they do try to find the medical or the scientific reasoning. I mean, Lloyd actually questions his own sanity before he finally admits to the idea that there's something super uh, superstition, some, some paranormal activity going on. <laughs> and I really like that about, that, about this film. Mm-hmm. Lloyd asks David to accompany him to Elwyn's crypt. Vis- visiting the grave will either prove Lloyd right or prove him to be crazy, but at least there will be an answer. David reluctantly agrees. At the crypt, they find the coffin has been taken away. This solidifies Lloyd's fears that L1 is alive and responsible. David continues to look for more rational explanations.
1: Oh, I love this! I this this is in my notes, which I have left behind me where I was taking notes. Um, But I love the moment when David says, "Maybe it was stolen by medical students because
0: that is something that happened a lot." (laughs) No, that is actually something that happened a lot around this time. Honestly, I
1: believe it, but it's so but it's so funny that it's just like the first thing he thinks of is medical students and.
0: Well, he probably did it himself when he was a medical student. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. He's like, yeah, you know, so he's playing a prank. It, it didn't occur to me to look up and see if that was something that was happening frequently during this era. But I did think it was just – it felt so random him saying maybe it was medical students because, I mean, maybe it was cannibals. <laughs> but he goes immediately to medical students, which actually made me laugh. That gave me a chuckle.
0: Well, David tells Lloyd that he wants to marry Gail immediately and take her away. Uh, Lloyd says that he's unsure if that will help, but he'll think it over.
1: I found that puzzling. I know later on he says, you know, he feels like Mary's safest there at Mm -hmm. home. But I still, I feel like, you know, if somebody was threatening a member of my family and somebody else offered to take them away to safety, I would say yes, please. Right. I suppose he thinks Elwynn will follow them wherever they go.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I would think that you would at least buy you time because yes. unless Elwyn happens to be there to know when or where she's leaving.
1: Yeah, and where they're going to and how long they'll be there and which hotel they're staying at. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> Leaves the itinerary on the desk and Elwynn exactly. happens to glance. <laughs> oh, wow, thanks. Later at church, David enlists the help of the local sheriff. David is afraid that if the sheriff doesn't do something, Gail will be murdered by none other than Dr. Lloyd Clayton. I hate to come to you with it, Sheriff.
5: I just can't wait any longer. Well, what's the trouble? Unless you do something right away, I'm afraid Gail's going to be murdered. Or who do you suspect of trying to murder her, Dr. Clayton? Oh, that's impossible. Why, Dr. Clayton's one of the finest men I ever knew. That's what I used to believe. But I've been forced to change my opinion. He's either losing his mind or he's attempting to divert suspicion from himself with some fantastic story of supernatural vengeance from beyond the grave. Why should he want to kill her? She has considerable money, which he would inherit if she died unmarried. Well, Dr. Clayton wouldn't want her money. He has plenty of his own. Sight has a very serious charge to make, merely on suspicion. What if it is? I'm watching her die and something's got to be done. The other night I insisted that he give her a blood transfusion and immediately her condition improved. I myself could see how she became stronger. The next morning she was weaker than ever. Well, there isn't a thing I can do unless you give me some definite proof of criminal intent. After Gail is dead, you may be able to charge him with murder. That will be a great comfort to me.
1: That actually made a lot of sense to me, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and he explains it pretty well, but especially at the point, you know, as I mentioned, at the point where he says, no, I don't want you to take her away to possible safety. I could understand why, you know, her, her fiance would then say, "Mm, this is a bit weird.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, that's just goes back to what I was saying before that David is a man of science and he's looking for rational explanations for all this. So everything else has been exhausted. They, he, as far as he knows, they're doing everything they can to cure her or to help her, but yet she still gets weaker under the care of her uncle. Mm-hmm. That is kind of where he would have to go. I mean, that's where his mind would take him. It certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't take him to oh, maybe vampires. Crazy, maybe crazy Kate <laughs> is right. No, I mean it, sparkling.
1: It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, before this time, or this is before that
0: time. much, Yes. Uh, speaking of Kate, Kate shows back up. She seems to know more than anyone on what is causing Gail's ailment. She gives Gail a cross to wear and finally speaks the word vampire.
1: And I think that's the first time in this movie.
0: Other than the uh, actually it being printed on the book and in that little (laughs) monologue by L1 in in the flaming head. Yeah, that's the first time a character actually speaks the word vampire. And I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a good, like, you know,
1: it's 25, 30
0: minutes into the film.
1: Halfway into Mm -hmm. the film. It's literally halfway in.
0: That night, Elwin shows up for his feeding, and sure enough, the cross keeps him at bay.
1: I have to do it. I'm sorry, I can't. <sighs> <Yeah. laughs> it's uh, every time.
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, David confronts Lloyd about his suspicions. If Gail dies, he'll kill Lloyd. Lloyd doesn't blame David for spec- suspecting him, but to help convince him, Lloyd suggests that David watch over her and help Lloyd. David agrees, and it does, does kind of put his mind at ease a little bit. I think it was kind of one of these things he was reluctant to think that Lloyd was responsible, and I think this was sort of a way of going, oh, thank God it wasn't you.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I never, at any point did I feel like David was just, you know, that's the word I want when you're angling to get somebody. Anyway, I never felt like David was trying really hard to, to get Lloyd, you know, for, like to pin him down or anything like that.
0: They go and check on Gail, and she is feeling a little better. And knowing that David will be near her makes her feel even better. To use the word better twice. Sorry. (laughs) When you're writing it down, scratching it down, it all makes sense. Even more so. (laughs) Even, there you go. Thank you. In the forest, Elwyn is instructing Zolar to sneak into the house once everyone is asleep and remove the necklace from Gail's neck.
1: I just couldn't not think of... Dracula dead and loving it during this scene. <laughs> I that was just I just could not think of it.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: When when Renfield's in there and he's like, "I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything." I saw
0: everything.
1: <laughs> I just it's just that moment where Renfield creeps into the girl's room and you're like, "Hmm." <laughs> oh, sorry, Zolar
0: is Zolar tries to carry out Elwin's orders but he is caught by David Lloyd finally admits to David that he believes that Elwin is a vampire he threatens Zolar that he will by any means necessary uh, get him to tell him where Elwin sleeps suddenly the lights go out and Zolar wrestles free as David and Lloyd begin to pursue El to to pursue him, him Elwin appears he tells them that they are powerless against him and he could kill them at any time he chooses so now david is also convinced but the only thing i want to mention here is that the sheriff does turn up and talk to lloyd and he met, he tells him that uh, other people well he tells him about david and his suspicions and lloyd uh, tell, tells the sheriff that yes he he thinks i was I might be responsible and it says, do you believe him? And the sheriff's like, no, of course not. But other people heard him, and rumors are already spreading. And this is actually kind of where, this believe it or not, this is 40 minutes into the film. There's only 20 minutes left. It's a very short film. I think it comes in at an hour and three minutes or something mm-hmm. like that.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So I really don't want to go any further, further than that um, on the plot. Uh, I don't have all that much else to say about other than what I have. I like I said, I do appreciate the fact that they didn't immediately go to oh my gosh, it's a vampire and we have to get the garlic get the crosses there, there wasn't this uh, you know the expert that happens to mosey in and knows everything uh, there's just the the crazy woman that they slowly come around to and they really kind of fight within themselves to see the truth as as strange as it is and so I did appreciate that about this film and that was probably something I wasn't expecting um uh, especially for a film that honestly for the first half hour or so outside of the whole uh fight over science over superstition it's dracula mhm i mean it's that it's,
1: it's if Dracula <laughs> and and Van Helsing were twins. <laughs> yes, I, pretty much, I feel like somebody said, "What if Dracula and Van Helsing were twins?" Yes, and and they were like, "Hey, look, that's it. Write it." You know, and then they got the 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 Western guy to just write out a script real fast, and then they started filming it the next day. It, that's exactly how I feel about this movie, and there's there's so little to recommend it. Yeah. It's, there's not exceptional acting and it's not that it's particularly poorly acted, but it's certainly not particularly well acted. Mm-hmm. There aren't any captivating characters in it. Like there have been the last few movies that we've talked about and it's not that it's poorly acted, but it's certainly not remarkably well done. So I, I just, the whole time it felt very, you know, it's, it's just, Dracula all over again. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) It really is, with only a few minor tweaks. And I love the idea that I think it's exactly what it was. Hey, what if they were related? Yeah, great idea.
1: And that, and then that's really it. They still have, you know, the first girl dies and that's the stranger. And it's mm-hmm. almost like they just did that in passing because it was too much trouble to introduce a character of Lucy. Right. And then Nina's character, of course, obviously, is Gail. And they, of course, have to save her. And there's the fiance. And you have the intelligent doctor that nobody quite believes. It's just very – and you have Renfield, you know. Zolar yes. Renfield. Which, yes, I called him Zen Renfield earlier on purpose. <laughs> there's just not, and then you have the the crazy angry villagers, you know, that show up at the end of Dracula too. I believe when they're all trying to find out where Nina went, so when they're rushing around trying to find her. So uh, yeah, I I just felt like there's the only thing to recommend this movie is possibly the last. Oh, I've got to back up to where it is. <laughs> the last. Maybe five minutes, mm. and there's a little bit of redemption at the very end that only is really alluded to at the very beginning. So unless you're really thinking about it, you probably don't tie that into it. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not I'm actually a little surprised that we're still talking about this 40 minutes in. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I know this was sure to be one of the very shortest ones that we've ever recorded.
0: Yeah, no, I knew that going in that it was going to be the. Ba- I mean, it was good. It was a short film to begin with, <clears throat> so I knew the synopsis wouldn't be that long. And yeah, there is just nothing really remarkable or nothing really to talk about. I, I mean, it's literally you say it all when you tell people about the movie. You, mm-hmm. and, and it, and and it, it plays end, exactly
1: like it sounds. There's yeah. not, you don't have to expound on it. Uh, the there's one scene. Where uh, where I almost called her Nina. Gail or Nina. <laughs> ne- uh, Gail is wearing the cross and Elwyn, you know, can't quite get get to her and she like tosses her head like na 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 boo boo <laughs> and she's supposed to be asleep. You know, it, it's that kind of thing that detracts from it just enough to make it truly not a good movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is literally a film that if someone said, Oh, what about Deadman Walk? Have you ever saw that? I'd go, watch Dracula.
1: Yeah, it's, <laughs> I totally agree, and I and I feel like this is kind of a quota movie, mm. much the way that you know, it feels like police officers write tickets to some people because they have to meet a quota. This right. is a movie that they made because they needed to meet a quota.
0: I think I you read know? somewhere, and it might be hypocritical, but it, I read that it was filmed in six days.
1: I believe it. Mm-hmm. I, I, would I really be, do. Actually, I'd be surprised if it took any longer than that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I could actually see filmed into post-production for there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah pretty much and they probably used pre-existing sets for a lot of it and just mm-hmm. dressed them slightly differently there, there's not anything in this that there are no you know wide shots of anything it's all obviously done on a sound stage yes. uh the, there's there aren't any big name well i mean there aren't any remarkably big names and obviously they're familiar names and then the director, goodness gracious, he did 276 movies. He couldn't have done more. He could have taken more than like a week on this <laughs> if he yeah. was going to get that <laughs> many out. It, he, he, he had to have filmed it incredibly quickly. And I think you see that. I, I think that there wasn't exceptional direction, and I and I think that that the script is not remarkably well written. And I, I feel like this is just a. Um, a movie from the era when they were just cranking out films as fast as they could to people coming, keep people coming back to the, the box office. Yeah,
0: About the only thing I think I might say is they did a pretty good job with some of the split screen and uh, George Zuko acting against himself, obviously having to do it in two different takes. Uh, I think they did a pretty nice job of that. And I think he pulled it off pretty well. I didn't really s- notice anything that really jumped out. That went, oh, he's looking in the wrong place, or he stumbled on his own line, or anything like that. Yeah, you used a word. You said split screen, mm-hmm. and. I did
1: not and I know I think you meant you know in the double filming of it, yeah but I did not notice a single take where he was actually with himself in the same screen and I know they had the ability to do that at this point.
0: Oh they did so and I think when L1 first appears to him, uh, uh, Lloyd is on one side of his desk and L1 is standing on the other and they do do a long shot with the two of them standing at the desk uh, talking to each other. That's the only time you see him together, I think.
1: I, I can't even think of that time. Um, it, I'll have to go back and take a look. I'm it's brief, now.
0: but it does happen.
1: Ah, here it is. I think I just scrolled to it. And you're mm-hmm. right. That's That would be the only one. And the lighting is extremely off. And I'm being picky. I know that. I'm looking at a still of the movie. Uh, but but I think also it's worth mentioning, I mean, what special effects there are. They did once
4: mm-hmm.
1: and then they never did them again. So it, you can. it was just very low on the production end. It was very obvious that they put, I think, as little time and effort into it as they could get away with.
0: But the only other effect, if you can call it that, that I noticed was in the beginning when they, you know, they throw the book on the fire.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You, If you look really close, you can see, and you have to look really close, and that's why I bring it up. You can see where they kind of re-loop the film, because the book is obviously burning,
4: ah, mm-hmm. and they're
0: doing this whole long, I mean, it's a good, probably a minute, minute and a half, you know, monologue. And why this book is burning. And to keep it going, you can actually see where they kind of were able to re-loop it. And it actually, it's pretty seamless. I mean, certainly seamless, I'm guessing, for 1944 right. with an actual <laughs> burning book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, there's the, the simple fade of Elwyn. But they've been doing that for, for years. So there's no reason they shouldn't be able to do that. <clears throat> so other than the, uh, the, the the one brief split screen that's it for a vampire film um, mm-hmm. you don't even see I, fangs
1: I, that's true well and that that is true i mean there's one prosthetic effect and that's the hunch yeah uh <laughs> on, and neil nedrick Young's a pillow
0: punch. under someone's jacket and,
1: yeah. exactly <laughs> and and i and it, it's i get, for for the amount of of experience and I'm not knocking the actors for this one because it's not their call, but for the amount of experience that the director and the writer and the studios and the makeup artists uh, that they all had at this time period, I think this is just a huge disappointment Mm -hmm. because nobody walked into this film and it was their first film. Um, well, actually to be fair, uh, uh, was it wait was it nedrick young no it was uh yeah nedrick young actually it was his second movie i think oh, okay
4: but was yeah, that david was
1: or I that that was david
4: okay um
1: and honestly i felt like he was one of the more compelling characters <laughs> and i don't think that was anybody else's fault but it's down to writing so for for as much experience as everybody had on this movie it was just extremely lackluster yeah
0: yeah, I think if you gave a, a little bit more time and a little bit more money or something, I think you would have a better film. But I think you do, and that's Dracula from
1: yeah, exactly. th- from 13 years
0: ago. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Or, you know, the, the Leslie Nielsen comedy version.
0: <laughs> yeah. which, I yeah. haven't watched that in so long. I need oh, to go back gosh, and so read that. It's so great.
1: It's just classic. It's just such classic gag. You it, just, uh.
0: Love it. (laughs) Well, now comes the time to do some ratings. Um, I'm only going to give it – I can give it a two. I I can't go lower than a two. It's not an awful film. I mean it's watchable, but there's just – like we were saying, there's just nothing remarkable. There's just nothing standout, and there is so many other films of this type that are better.
1: And most of them star the same
0: people. (laughs) A lot of them star (laughs) the same people. They do. Uh, so yeah, I will give it a solid two. Just because uh, that—that's—I—that's—I that, I, I, don't think I need any more reason than that.
1: <laughs> and I, I feel like that's very generous. I actually am gonna go with a one. Okay. And like you said, it's not because it's so absolutely horrible. I, there are worse movies that I would give higher ratings to because they're more entertaining. Mm, okay. And and so I just there's they just this is a C minus movie. This is, you know, if you were getting grades in school on this movie, this is, <laughs> this is, you know, second year film school level. And there were better movies being make, made at the time. It's not, it's not. Oh, this is, you know, the time period. You know, it's scratchy. We've seen those, but this one, I, I, it was just one of those. We ran it through in a week, and we just did it to make the money and get something else out. And uh, I, I, I'm going to argue that that's mostly on the fault of the studio, the writer and the director.
4: All
1: right. Although honestly, to be fair, I think honestly, you couldn't even, they, there were, yeah, I, I think you, I think you're being very generous toward it. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll go there. You're, you're going to be the nice one today.
0: Yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm playing good cop. <laughs>
1: And and I yeah it's not it's not even that I hate that's I think why I want to give it a 1 is because I can't even be bothered enough to dislike it. <laughs> it, just, it just it's just so, no, it It's a it is
0: it is kind of a non-entity, isn't it? It
1: is. It's it's basically a retelling of the same story that I've heard done much much better.
0: All right. Well, I think that is going to do it for Dead Men Walk. Uh I thought it'd be fun being that it's Febu- the month of February, and we got a – there's romance and there's – Creepy
1: bedroom stalking. Yeah, it's bedroom like stalking. It's just like February.
0: <laughs> and I, I told Lydia when we picked the movie, Dead Men Walk reminds me of the look that all the men have on February the 13th <laughs> as, when they're in Hallmark.
1: As they're standing and that's my husband's birthday, by the way, so we do not celebrate <laughs> Valentine's Day. So this is the perfect movie for us. Valentine's Day is, uh you know, pretty much, yeah, this – I would give it one star, too.
0: <laughs> uh yeah this is actually a film that even after even discussing it i had fun discussing it but it didn't make it better <laughs>
1: <laughs> isn't that remarkable i definitely we talked about things that you know I, I thought oh i didn't even think of that before you know as i mentioned but yeah it do, that doesn't make me want to watch it again or or raise the the rating on it at nope. all.
0: i want to thank everybody for listening F to or in downloading orphan entertainment, we certainly appreciate it. If your opinion is different on Dead Men Walk, please let us know. You know, I, I know there's a lot of George Zuko fans out there. I've I listened to some other podcasts, Monster Kid Radio. Derek, I'm talking to you. I know you watched <laughs> plenty of George Zuko.
1: I feel like he's a staple. I feel like George Zuko is a person that people try to make their characters look like. And even oh, though sure. he's not Boris Karloff, so he doesn't come in at the very top of the list, he I feel oh. like he's such a staple.
0: Yeah, you know, not to mention it, he is like the poor man's Boris Karloff, mm-hmm.
1: is he? he? kind yeah. of is a little bit. But uh, – <laughs> sorry, I just like stuttered. That wasn't the microphone <laughs> breaking up. Uh, there's a, a photo of him where he's wearing a fez and, and I just feel like that's the classic – you know, kind of evil guy in the desert look after. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was the first one to do it. I, I'm sure he wasn't, but he does it so well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we would certainly love to hear your opinion on George Zuko, Dwight Fry, or Dead Men Walk, you know, whatever you like. Or uh, just send us an email uh, to orphanentertainment at gmail.com or come onto the Facebook group and comment there. Lydia, thank you very much. I'm, you know, sorry the film wasn't better. Sometimes it just happens. Well, it's, been, know, a it's been a long time. It's been a long time since we've had a low rating see, film. We,
1: you have to experience pain to
0: appreciate
1: joy. So no. it's all right. Yeah.
0: We, wow. I suddenly feel like it just walked into Hellraiser. or something. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> what the
1: heck? <laughs> oh wow. No, that was just Lydia. Crazy. Did I just
0: open the box? What did I do? <laughs> Get in the box.
1: No. <laughs> Um no, I but I think, you know, it wouldn't if we gave every every movie we watch on here five stars, then we would lose at least a little credibility.
4: <laughs> yeah, <probably. laughs> the,
1: the OFA rating would not be very valuable, I think. Good um, point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't wow, I, that's it. That's, <laughs> I'm wearing my black leather tonight. You made it happen.
4: <laughs>
0: oh, have fun, Jack. Um <laughs> He will. (laughs) Uh, All right. That is going to do it. Uh, Thanks very much, Lydia.
1: Thank you, Christopher. I appreciate it.
0: Bye, everybody.
1: Goodbye.